0: In the first chapter of the book of Acts, we find to me a very, very fascinating experience in the life of the Lord Jesus and also his disciples. Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, says the former treatise, meaning his gospel, the gospel according to Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that he through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, He ye have heard of me. For truly John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Pause for a second there. It's amazing that the disciples were still focused on that. Jesus had already clearly showed he'd established a spiritual kingdom. And there's many of God's people today that claim the title Christian that are still waiting for Jesus to once again restore the kingdom again to Israel. Yet the kingdom of God is already clearly established, (laughs) He said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And here's where we'd like to focus. And we had thus spoken these things, while they beheld he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, "You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven?" This same Jesus, I've always loved that phrase, "This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. We're coming up in just a couple, well, less than two months now uh, on a holiday that has been set aside to observe the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, I find no commandment in the New Testament that we're to memorialize the birth of Jesus. Certainly, nothing wrong with doing so. We are commanded to memorialize in the church the Lord Jesus Christ the death of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. Um, And so a lot of attention is given, of course, this time of year regarding the birth of Christ. I like to contemplate that Um the Lord came. I one of my very favorite names of God is Emmanuel. (laughs) Why? Because it means God with us. And why I love that is because God being with us means there's coming a day that we will be with God. Uh, The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ condescended to men of low estate, left the glory of heaven, is clear testimony the day's coming that He is going to take us to be with the Father. That is probably by far my favorite name for the Lord Jesus, God with us. And thank God because that will one day be with him. I love to contemplate that Jesus came into this world. I love to read about the actions and the words of the Lord Jesus while he lived. And thank God, as Brother David wrapped up his message there, for the sufferings of Christ on the cross so that I will never, and you will never have to experience that, and then, after three days and three nights in a tomb, he came forth. And then, after about 40 days, we find this experience occurred called the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think often about his birth, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. But one of the things that, in fact, the Bible actually doesn't make a lot of mention of is the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Only two gospel writers even mention it. We find just as briefly mentioned at the end of the gospel of Mark. Matthew mentions it not at all. We find that uh, Luke mentions it briefly at the end of Luke. This is the most descriptive thing we find about the ascension of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Here we find this description is from the apostles' point of view. The Lord is speaking, and while he spoke these things, verse 9, while they beheld... He was taken up. Can you imagine being there on the Olivet Mountain to see Jesus talking? And all of a sudden, as he's talking, I I don't know exactly how it happened. In my mind, I just see him uh, almost like on an invisible elevator just start to lift up out of their sight. And, of course, they stood there gazing. And the angels that appeared to them, these men in apparel, they come and they said, why stand ye gazing up in heaven? I tell you what, I would have been gazing as well. If I see somebody talking to me and all of a sudden they're just starting to be lifted up and transported out of my sight, I'm going to be focused on that for a while. I'm going to ponder about that for a while. I'm going to be, I'm sure, perplexed and also amazed. And they were, but I love what the angels uh, come and let you men of Galilee Why stand you get this same Jesus, and I thank God it says that, this same Jesus, the very one that y'all have known for uh, three and a half years, that you have uh, ministered alongside as you have watched him establish his kingdom. as you you watched him in the cases that Brother David mentioned, the widow of Nain, as you watched him uh, touch that bar and that uh, young man as Jesus commanded life to him was raised again. As that poor man whose son was healed of the demons, they beheld that, they watched, they saw the many miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. This same Jesus, the one as we spoke of last night, that spoke to the wind and the seas, peace be still, that same Jesus is coming again. He said, this same Jesus uh, which ye have seen, taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now let's turn for a moment if you will to the book of Daniel because Daniel gives us a different perspective. Daniel tells about this very same experience. Now that just gave us, Luke gave us an account from the apostles point of view as they stood there watching the Lord Jesus go up. In Daniel the 7th chapter the 13th verse we find he records this, he says, I saw In the night visions, this is something that God blessed Daniel to see hundreds of years before it would occur in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. By prophecy and by eye of faith, Daniel was blessed to see heaven's view of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He records for us what heaven saw when Jesus Christ was lifted up from among men. He said, I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient, capital A, the Ancient of Days. That is a biblical name for God the Father. So he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This lets us know that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascends to heaven, his attention, his focus goes to God his Father. And they bring the Lord Jesus Christ right up to where God the Father sits. Why? Because the New Testament tells us over and over that when he had done all things commanded by God to do, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is ascending into glory. As he enters into heaven, they bring him near to the ancient of days. And notice what for he says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. And then notice this. He says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now we can talk about some of the dangers that face us in this world. Uh, The onslaught of Satan, which is all very real. And it occurs in the lives of many of God's people. But let us not overstate Satan's power. It has a limit. Uh, The Bible lets us know in the book of Revelation that he has been chained and he has been bound. I don't know if any of you here knew Elder Hewlin Bass from uh, West Texas. He said this one time, and I love this expression. He said he's been chained and bound, but he hasn't been wrapped and wound. In other words, he has a limit to his power, but if you get inside his reach, if you get inside his reach, he will reach out and touch you. But he is chained and bound. He can only go so far. He can only touch your life so much. And while it is disastrous what he can do, this side of glory, it will not prevent you from reaching the other side. Never let that be forgotten. And while it is so sad when we see Satan destroy the life of someone we love, we can take great consolation that Jesus Christ has an everlasting dominion. He has control over Satan. He has control over death. He has control over life, over all the things that are in creation are under the complete and sovereign control of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he ascends into glory, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here Daniel is seen uh, in this vision, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he receives from his father, this dominion, his glory, this kingdom that all nation, people, and languages would serve him. And that this dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So there in Acts 1, when the disciples said, wilt thou this time? restore again the kingdom of Israel their focus was in the wrong place they, they kept thinking that and sadly many keep not realizing that his kingdom is already established his kingdom has, has long been in place and now he reigns as the triumphant king in that kingdom seated in the uh, glories of heaven right now so yes, I love to consider the condescension of Christ when he came uh, through the virgin's womb. I love to think about him uh, at age 12 confounding the doctors and lawyers. I love to read about his life and ministry after his baptism by John in the River Jordan. I love to consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great comfort uh, that his life and words bring to me. And I love to consider uh, his death because I know that through his death he conquered him who had the power of death which is the devil. I, uh, I love to contemplate the resurrection but then we think for a moment about the ascension and I, I won't have time to uh, deal with all that the ascension teaches us but first of all it teaches us about His glorification it also teaches us about His coronation and then it also teaches us about consolation there's great comfort in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ it also teaches us about uh, Great jubilation, great joy, and that it also should bring to us great anticipation. (laughs) So we find, first of all, in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, his glorification. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there's no doubt, or should be no doubt anyway, in the minds of any, that he's been glorified. In fact, in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, which I consider the Lord's prayer, or his high priestly prayer, He prays to the Father and he says in verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, when the Lord Jesus came in human form, uh, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, his glory was enshrouded. It was covered up in a way, if you will. When you saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have looked like a common man. Uh, There was nothing extraordinary about his human features. In fact, if you'll recall, when they came to arrest him, Judas had to point him out by kissing him so that they would know which one to... He didn't walk around with an eternal glow. Uh, He didn't walk around with a halo. He didn't look like Superman. He certainly didn't look like the paintings that we see uh, displayed of him uh, that make him look very effeminate. That was not the Lord Jesus Christ. But he looked like an ordinary, common individual. In fact, Isaiah 53 lets us know there was no form nor comeliness or beauty that we should design. He just looked like every everyday ordinary guy. But he wasn't. He was not ordinary. He was still extraordinary. His glory was covered. And he says to the Father, glorify thou me. How? With thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Give to me again that which I willfully laid aside, is what Jesus is saying. I willfully uh, laid that aside, and it was not on display in full form, Uh, but now, Father, I want you to glorify me with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. And we find an example in the scriptures where the disciples, three of them at least, were blessed to see this. In uh, Luke chapter 9, we find that the Lord Jesus takes three of the disciples, and these three he often took to, for special experiences. Peter, James, and John, he takes on a mount called the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, I like how Peter names it in, uh, in his writings. He called it the Holy Mount, <laughs> And there was something very holy about that place because of the experience that Peter, James and John saw on that mountain. We find that Jesus was transfigured before their sight. In other words, they saw Jesus on that mountain uh, like we will see him when he comes a second time. They had a a preview of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what happens when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's glorified in their sight. There are two individuals that appear with the Lord Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And I believe there's multiple reasons why it is that God used those two men to converse with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have Moses who represented the law. And you had uh, Elijah who represented the prophets. And you have the Lord Jesus Christ who is what? The end of the law and the prophets. He was the one that the law and the prophets uh, pointed towards. But you also have in Moses and Elijah the two types of people that will exist when the Lord comes back. You'll have those saints that have already gone on to heaven like Moses did. The Bible lets us know that he died and God buried him. But Elijah never died. Elijah was just carried up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire right into heaven, never having experienced death. So far, only two people have been that way. Uh, uh, Enoch and Elijah. Two people. Dave Ramsey, if you listen to him, he'll, uh, he he uh, always encourages people to buy term life insurance. I encourage that as well. That's wise advice. But in his uh, advertisement of life insurance, he'll say, so far, 100% of people have not made it out of this world alive. And I always, when I hear that commercial, I'm like, Mr. Ramsey, you've got that a little bit wrong. It's not quite 100%. I don't know what the percentage would be, but Enoch and Elijah, they throw it off from being 100 just a little bit because there are two people that have left this world that have never experienced a death. And there's going to be a whole lot more when the Lord comes back that will never experience death. Paul says, we will not all sleep, meaning we're not all going to die, but we all shall be changed. So they see Moses and Elijah. Representatives of those who have passed on to be with the Lord and those who never will experience death. and here they are on the mountain, and I love what they talk about. Now the Bible says that Peter, James and John, they slept. It's amazing those men could sleep. and I, I'm learning, as I'm getting older that sleep is a little more elusive. Some ask me how well I rested last night, uh, very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. that's how I rested last night um, had to go back to the airport by the time we got back home uh, to Brother Ronald's. It was close to midnight, and I was wide awake at 6.30, because that's 7.30 our time, and that's about the length of time I can stay in the bed. Um, very quickly, as whatever. But here, Peter, James, and John didn't seem to have problems sleeping. <laughs> they were asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was asleep when he was literally handcuffed to soldiers in Acts chapter 12, and he was going to be put to death the next day. <laughs> I don't think I would have slept that night myself. Either he truly trusted the Lord was going to get him out of that, or he just was finally in such despondency he just went to sleep. Anyway, you know what they talked about? Moses, Elijah, and the Lord of all conversations. They spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. You know, it's strange to me to talk about death as an accomplishment, for you and me, what death is, is the final result and proof that we're sinners. That's what death is. Sin when it's conceived, or lust when it's conceived, bring forth sin, and sin when it's finished... Bringeth forth death, that's the result of sin. So every time that I am preaching a funeral, I am reminded whether I point it out to the congregation or not, there's one more evidence that that individual was a sinner. And I don't, I've stood over the, the casket of even my beloved great-grandmother, one of the godliest women I knew, but I still knew by the very fact that I was preaching her funeral that she was a sinner. Otherwise, she wouldn't have died. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only individual that has ever experienced death and not have experienced sin. Uh, but he took our sin on him and died so that you and I would never have to. So that is why they could speak of his death, his decease, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. His death was going to bring great accomplishment. In fact, the greatest accomplishment that has ever transformed. This is even outshining the creation. This is even better than God speaking, and stars exist in the skies. In fact, the Bible says of the creation and the story that that's the fingerwork of God, <laughs> that's the handiwork of God. But when the Bible refers to the salvation of God's elect, He uses stronger language than that. It's not the fingerwork of God. It's not the handiwork of God. It took God's right arm to bring salvation to Him. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard that saying, a right hand man. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is God's right arm, and it's a strong and. mighty arm, And he was able to accomplish a a great and mighty result in his death at Jerusalem. And because of that, God has given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. So in the ascension, we see proof of the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, as we just read here in Daniel chapter 7, we see the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We find that he is crowned king of kings. And Lord of Lords. We find that David would say, I I love this psalm. It's one of my very favorites. He says in Psalm 110, and this is why I like it, because we find a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And I love to see where God the Father and God the Son. I have a natural father. I love to talk with my father. Uh, He lives uh, 40 minutes away from me, and yet we still are on the phone two or three times a week besides seeing one another every Sunday and sometimes once or twice in the week in between. I enjoy conversing with my earthly father. You know what? I enjoy even more conversing with my father in heaven. Yeah. Jesus loved to speak to his father. I can find in the Bible where he went and prayed all night long. All night long, he spent talking with his father. There's been times my wife will say, That was a long conversation, and dad and I have been on the phone maybe a couple hours. But here we find the father speaks, he says, The Lord, Psalm 110, The Lord. And that L-O-R-D there is all capital letters, meaning the Lord, the, the, self-eternal, the self-existent eternal one, Jehovah. The Lord said unto my Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. What does that mean? Jehovah said to my master. What is, that means God the Father says to God the Son. Now that does not mean that God the Son is not Jehovah. But here we are seeing a distinction of the persons in the Godhead. So Jehovah says to my master. That's what David sees. David hears this conversation. He says, so Jehovah says to my master. Well, what did Jehovah have to say? The father says to the son, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. What has God just done? He has coronated his son king. He has let him know all of your enemies shall be vanquished. He says, I will make thine enemies thy footstool. He lets him know that he shall rule with a rod of iron. He would have complete control. Uh, Understand that while from our perspective this world seems chaotic, it is not out of control from God's perspective. I don't understand all that's going on. I don't even understand everything that's happening in my own life. (laughs) But one thing I can say, that he is the master weaver, (laughs) and there's going to come a day when I'm in glory that I'm going to look and be able to see the tapestry that he weaved of my life that right now I can't understand all. But even though for me this life may be chaotic, and it is, it's never chaotic with God. He knows. He is ruling with a rod of iron. He's been coronated king and lord of all things. We find that the apostle Paul said of him that he is the only blessed potentate. That means the one in control and rule dominion, the king of kings and lord of lords. When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended on high and led captivity captive, God coronated King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God. Uh, we may in a couple of years uh, coronate, if you will, another president. As we've seen recently over in Great Britain, uh, the queen that was there for over 70 years has passed away. And I understand that next June they're going to coronate Charles as King of England. But you know, when you really look at it, all that is is for show. Now he doesn't have much control. Uh, And even the kings of this earth who have had full control over their dominions in the past, men like Nebuchadnezzar or men like Pharaoh, even they were limited in their government. But not the Son of God. There's no limit to His control. Uh, There's no one that can try to bring Him now into a tight place. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ has an everlasting dominion and of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. It shall continue to expand and expound. (laughs) That's the God that we serve. And so when Jesus was ascended on high, he was coronated by none other than God the Father, uh, the one who is control over all things, the judge of all the earth, has placed the crown, not the crown of thorns that men did to mock the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has crowned him Lord of all and King of all kings. Why? Because he has a name above every name because the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to condescend to come to this world to deliver you and me. Perform the Father's will to a jot and to a tittle, and always do those things which please the Father. I love that verse about Jesus. He always did everything that pleased the Father. My Father can't say that about me, my earthly Father nor my heavenly Father. I know they've both been disappointed in me from time to time, and sometimes many times. But you know, it's amazing that the Lord Jesus, it could be said of him, he always did those things which pleased the Father. I love what it says about him. He went about doing good. Jesus did all things well. And so the crown that he wears, you know, King Charles, who's about to be coronated next year, he wears a crown just simply because of what family he was born into. If I had been the son of Queen Elizabeth, the firstborn, I would be wearing that crown myself. I wasn't born into that family, and I'm thankful I wasn't, quite frankly. But it wasn't by happenstance, if you will, that the Lord Jesus Christ wears this crown. It wasn't just simply because he was born into the right family. No, it's because he's the eternal God. And this eternal God who is our refuge did a wonderful and good work. And because of that, God has given him a name above every name. And so now he has been coronated king of all kings and lord of all lords. The ascension of Christ also brings consolation. So there's glorification. There's a coronation. But it ought to bring to you and me consolation. Because the Lord Jesus said many times between John 14 to 16. That if he left this world. He would not leave his children alone. That had to be a very difficult thing for the disciples to wrap their minds around. That he was going to leave. I know that if I live long enough. The day may come that I may outlive most of my companions. I doubt that's probably going to happen. They'll probably outlive me. But I've seen people, uh, Sister Mildred Carlton, for instance, from Little Union Church, she lived to be 102, almost 103. You know, when she passed away, all her companions had all already passed some of them many years before, she had outlived all of her friends, outlived um, her husband, outlived her siblings, outlived those that had been so, if the if the time goes long enough, that's going to happen. And so I know that the day's coming that I may in some sense be alone. I may feel all alone. If not, I know my spouse one day may be feeling desperately alone, all the, or she may be greatly rejoicing, we'll see. But anyway, uh, especially when that life insurance check comes. But any, uh uh and also there's times we feel so lonely i know there's times i do i remember one time in fact uh, i called brother david i was on the road and when i'm traveling which i'm not i don't enjoy traveling um if it was left to me i would stay home 100 percent of the time my wife would travel i'd stay home i have to travel she has to stay at home it's the reverse of how we would anyway when I, when I leave here to get on an airplane in a couple days, I already know it's going to happen. I will feel very isolated. One time I was driving home. I don't remember where I was coming from, but I was on a lonely highway all by myself. I know I had the Lord with me, but I just felt completely alone. And so my mind immediately I went to Brother David Crawford and I picked up the phone, I called and he answered and we had a very lengthy conversation and so he was my companion as I drove down Interstate 10 trying to get back to Central Florida and I thank God that God has blessed me with friends in this life so that I, but the reality is I am never alone there is great consolation because the Lord made clear he says I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter why does he say another? because Jesus had been their comforter while he was here in this world but he lets them know I'm going to leave I'm going back to the father but when I do leave I'm going to pray and the father's going to do this he shall give not might give uh, hopefully he will give this could happen possibly no he doesn't say that he said he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever that comforter is called the Holy Spirit you know he dwells within you when you're born of the spirit of God he takes up a residence with you and he's always with you Say, well, I don't always feel him. Well, because you might be behaving in such a way he's not revealing himself to you. Or maybe that's not the source of comfort you're looking for at that moment. But I have found this, that every time that I have attempted to live by his word and I have sought his consolation and not the consolation of this world, every single time he's come near and I have felt his presence and I was cheered along the way. That happened because of the ascension of the Lord Jesus. The comfort, didn't come until after. In fact, he would let them know that after he left this world that they would be endued with uh, power from on high not many days hence. And it was about 10 days after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ that on the day of Pentecost, there they were uh, in Jerusalem. And the Bible says they were endued with power from on high. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost, the the comforter that Jesus promised that would come when he prayed to the Father, he's now on the scene. And the apostles who were alone in an upper room that were fearful even to go out into public are now charging the very men that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They're indicting them with the death of Jesus. And you know what those men say after they hear the Apostle Peter preach with the power of God because now he has the comforter on his side. This man who wouldn't even admit admit to a young girl that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ, now he's speaking to the very soldiers and men who uh, put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. And he told them that they had slain the Prince of Glory. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their hearts. Why? Because the same comforter that Peter was talking with his power had now pricked them in their hearts. And Peter just said, you repent and you be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And so they did. About 3,000 were added to the church that day because here these men received the consolation, the comfort of God after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's now intercession. We find that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, and I love this, that is passed into the heavens. We read it in Acts 1, he passed into the heavens. Daniel 7 talks about him coming with the clouds and glory, and he's brought before the ancient of days. And there was given him dominion and a throne. And there he has an everlasting dominion where all nations, languages, and people would serve him. And there he will rule with a rod of iron. There he sits at the right hand of God. But notice he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, not just a high priest, but a great high priest. You know, that is never a term that is used for any of the high priests of the Old Testament. They had a high priest... (laughs) They had priests, but they didn't have a great high priest. But you and I, we are blessed above them. You and I have been made kings and priests to God. I don't need to go to a priest now. I'm a priest myself. And so now I can approach the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. In case you wonder where Jesus is, he's passed into the heavens. That's where he's at. He says, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, seeing then that we have, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the, That's Paul's way of saying, we do have a high priest, and he is touched with the feelings of our infirmity, yet without that means he, he understands, and because he understands, he intercedes. What does that mean intercede? It means go-between. We have a go-between between us and the Father, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he liveth daily to make intercession for us see jesus isn't in heaven waiting to see who's going to receive salvation he's not in heaven waiting to see uh, what's going to transpire on the earth Uh, the lord jesus christ isn't up there worried and concerned about the affairs going on here The Lord Jesus Christ is seated in power and glory and he's also very busy making intercession for the children of God. So every time that you offer up a prayer or a complaint before God, every time that you come with a supplication and a a deep need of your father, you have the Lord Jesus Christ there as your intercessor uh, to bring you before God and bring your case before the father. And the Bible says then when we bring our intercession to him, we even have the Holy Spirit there to intercession. Seat in our behalf and take the groanings of our heart when we don't even know what to pray. I like to just put away, just to clean up our prayers and make them appropriate and proper, and then God our Father hears. And I'll tell you this every time He provides an answer. Say, Well, Brother Chris, there's been lots of times I've prayed and I didn't get an answer. Well, I've always said, I've said many times there's three answers to prayer there's yes, there's no, and there's not yet. Yes, no, not yet. There's always going to be one of those three answers. Yes, no, not Now sometimes we don't feel to hear it. But he is there to make intercession for us. Jubilation. The joy. Can you imagine what it was like in glory when Jesus came back? How did the father have to feel? Have you ever thought of the heart of God in that moment? When his son, who had triumphantly conquered sin... Who had represented his children effectively and appropriately and perfectly. As he had done all things entrusted into his hands, we had completed every task that God up to that point had appointed him to do. There's still a couple things left for him to do to intercede for us daily and to come back and get us. Those are still uh, uh, something we anticipate. But what was it like for God the Father? I tell you, I. Every once in a while, my children, here recently, they were gone overnight. And when I heard the garage door open, and I knew that my wife and three children were pulling into the garage, there was some jubilation in my heart. And when that door opened, and here come my little boy running in with a big smile and hugging me as hard as he could, and here come my two girls to do the same, and my bride... I was never happier than to see their faces again. Can you imagine then what it must have been like for God the Father when the Son of God came back to glory to his rightful place? That had to bring great joy. Think about the angels. The angels who had been perplexed that the Son of God even came to this world and then had to be further uh, confused and perplexed. Uh, can you, you know when the Lord told uh, uh, Pilate, uh, uh, no, told the disciples, told Peter, when he took that sword as the soldiers came to arrest him, And Peter, who had all boldness right then because Jesus was there, he took that sword and took a swipe at Malchus and I believe was trying to take his head off and Malchus in the nick of time ducked and his ear was cut off and Jesus just reached there, uh, picks it up and puts it back on. Remember what Jesus tells the apostles? He said, if he desired, he could presently, right then, he could call And his father would send 12 legions of angels. There's different numbers on what that, that's at least 72,000 angels. I read in the book of Kings where one angel was sent by God and in one night slew 185,000 men. And from what I can tell, wasn't even exhausted. You know what Jesus just told the apostles? If I wanted to call for the end of this world right now, I could do so and my father would do it. So here I could call, and that would happen right now. Now, those angels, I wonder when Jesus said that, do you think they all just kind of stood up and got ready? I, I kind of contemplate they might have. Maybe they all girded their swords and said, You know what? The Son of God's about to call, and the Father's going to dispatch us, and we're going to go, and we're going to end this madness that we see on this earth that the Creator is being subjected to. I can only wonder if the angels were on the ready for God the Father to say, Go. And yet, did they stand there in amazement when the Father stood silent and did not do so? And then, three days and three nights later, they had to be amazed when the son of God came forth from the tomb and then some 40 days later when they see him come into heaven what joy there must have been and then I think about the disembodied souls of the elect family that had been in heaven for 30 and I realize heaven has no time speaking of we're out of but anyway uh, even they I'm sure rejoiced when the son of God came back home and even the earth, I believe, rejoiced. I rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is now seated in his rightful place. And lastly, it brings anticipation. There's a great anticipation. A thought struck me a while back, and maybe it's a, it's a simple thought. You may have already thought this a long time ago, but you know the Bible tells us that when the Lord comes back, that he's going to come, the disembodied souls of every elect child of God's going to come. You're going to have all the holy angels with him, the Bible says. That tells me that for a moment, heaven is going to be vacated except for one person, God the Father. For a moment, the Father will be alone. So while you and I anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine the anticipation that God the Father will feel as he sends his son to claim his own and bring us all back to glory. But the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember what those angels told the apostles, this same Jesus which ye have seen go up into heaven shall come again. In like manner. What is that angel saying? There's something for the child of God to anticipate. There is something for the child of God to stand ready for. There's something for you and I to stand in hope about. And that is the glorious hope and the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. But the greatest thing that I look forward to. And what will fix all of our problems. Is the second. And I'm going to say this final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe in multiple comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, of him physically. There'll be one more. I love what Paul says. As it is appointed unto men once to die, Hebrews 9, verse 27, he says, And after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time, without sin unto salvation that's the anticipation Paul says in Titus chapter 2 he says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us tell you what the, the ascension of Christ again It shows us his glorification. It teaches us there was the coronation of him as king of kings and Lord of lords visibly in heaven. It brings consolation, intercession, jubilation, great joy. And for each of us, I trust anticipation of his return at the